Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Hi there, and welcome back. So I have known since I first decided to create this podcast that I wanted to include a passage from this book, and I am so excited that the day has finally arrived. So today we are talking about an excerpt from Sue Monk Kidd's absolutely stunning novel, The Book of Longings. I'm serious. There is absolutely nothing I don't love about this novel. I mean, even the title and cover design just delight me and pull me right in. Now, if you're not familiar with this book, there are a few key things to note. The protagonist of the story is Anna, who becomes the wife of Jesus of Nazareth, and the story is told from her first-person point of view. Now, Sumon Kidd spent four and a half years meticulously researching and writing the story, and it is both beautifully and carefully written. Anna's character is fictional, as this is, you know, a novel, but I seriously encourage you to go out of your way to read Kid's author note at the back of the book. Her discussion of how Anna came to be, her decisions and research around this work of fiction, and how she chose to tell this story are so fascinating and very worth your time. So this is true for everyone. Seriously, the note is really just so, so fascinating. But this is especially true if you are someone with qualms of any sort about reading a work of fiction that includes Jesus as a character. I would also encourage you to spend a moment with those qualms and invite you, as always, to harness your curiosity here. Whether those qualms stem from being nervous that something in this book won't align with your Christian beliefs, or they stem from a knee-jerk reaction of anything suggestive of Christian beliefs, I urge you to consider staying with curiosity and the willingness to read this book and form your own opinions about what you choose to take away from it. You know, each of us has both the right and the responsibility to make our own decisions about things like literature, you know, among other things. And I'm deeply skeptical of anyone who wholly rejects any book or genre out of hand without taking the time and making the effort to investigate for themselves whether what's been presented about it is actually true for them. Now, whenever I think of this, I am reminded of one of my very favorite literary quotes ever. It's from Ray Bradbury's Usher 2, one of the short stories from his Martian Chronicles. And the gist of the story is that the main character, a Mr. Stendhal, recreates Edgar Allan Poe's House of Usher on Mars and uses it to host a party in which he kills everyone from Earth's moral climate control using references to all the works of literature that they'd banned from Earth. In one of the final scenes, this quote is Stendhal speaking to the head of moral climates, a Mr. Garrett, right before he kills them in the same manner as the plot from Poe's story, The Cask of Amontillado. In the quote, Garrett, said Stendhal, do you know why I have done this to you? Because you burned Mr. Poe's books without really reading them. 
You took other people's advice that they needed burning. Otherwise, you'd have realized what I was going to do to you when we came down here a moment ago. Ignorance is fatal, Mr. Garrett. I love that. And while Bradbury's story is a futuristic horror story, the lesson still rings true to me. Ignorance is fatal, perhaps not bodily in most cases, I certainly hope, but it's definitely fatal to wisdom and empathy and our ability to form complex and nuanced opinions about things that are multifaceted and layered. All of that to say, let's not burn any books before we read them and instead harness our own curiosity to dive into forming our own opinions and our own perspectives based on what we ourselves have read. So with all of that in mind, let's meet Anna. Here we go from Sumunk Kid's novel, The Book of Longings. Rising, I took my incantation bowl to the small, high window where skeins of light fell. I rotated the bowl in a full circle, watching the words move inside it, rippling toward the rim. Lord our God, hear my prayer, the prayer of my heart. Bless this largeness inside me, no matter how I fear it. Bless my reed pens and my inks. Bless the words I write. May they be beautiful in your sight. May they be visible to eyes not yet born. When I am dust, sing these words over my bones. She was a voice. I gazed upon the prayer and the girl and the dove, and a sensation billowed in my chest, a small exultation like a flock of birds lifting all at once from the trees. I wished God might notice what I'd done and speak from the whirlwind. I wished him to say, Anna, I see you. How pleasing you are in my sight. There was only silence. This book is just so frigging gorgeous. Okay, so this passage is from the very beginning of the book, when Anna is 14 years old. She's young here, but already she has this prayer of her heart that she is asking her God for. Now let's begin with the second line from the prayer that she carved into her incantation bowl. Bless this largeness inside me, no matter how I fear it. Okay, let me repeat that one more time. Bless the largeness inside me, no matter how I fear it. This feels so powerful to me. We'll start with this idea of largeness. Largeness that resides within each and every one of us. What does that mean? What do we mean by largeness? I see this as the vast potential within every single person. Potential for love, for beauty, for connection, for belonging. I also see this as including the inherent gifts each of us contain. I'm not talking about skills per se. Skills happen when we put training and practice to work. And, you know, we can develop skills in almost any area with enough training and practice, right? Our gifts go beyond that. They are our natural strengths and proclivities, the things that we're so drawn to that they're nearly irresistible or come so naturally that we may not even realize that they are gifts because we assume that they're inherent for, you know, everyone. 
perhaps this is an eye for beauty or composition or an ear that turns sound to music. Or maybe it's an ability to see to the heart of an issue or recognize the gifts in others. Maybe it's a way of making those around you feel understood or for finding a way to teach complex ideas in a way that connects for others. All of us have gifts, every single one of us. And figuring out what they are and how to work with them is an important part of each of our lives. But our largeness encompasses all of that and more. It is our inherent value, our inherent worthiness to exist and to be in the world and to take up space. Our largeness is the voice within each one of us that says, my life matters. My life is valuable. I am valuable. You know, at first glance, this seems straightforward, right? You know, duh, of course, each of us believes our lives are valuable. But when we come in closer, we can see all the ways that we can come to question that inherent value as we grow up and move through the world. All of the ways that we can come to believe that we must earn our place, earn the space that we take up in the world. What we come to believe is required before we are allowed to believe that we are valuable, that we are essential. I mean, maybe it's making a lot of money or maybe it's through sacrifice and martyring ourselves for our children or our families or our loved ones or our communities. Maybe it's through excellence, the belief that if we work hard enough and get good enough at something, then we can feel valuable. I mean, when it comes down to it, the idea that each of us possesses this largeness, this inherent value and worth simply by existing, I mean, it's a little bit revolutionary, right? It says, I am worthy of love, of belonging, of taking up space in this world, of being seen and heard and understood simply because I exist and I am human and that is enough. Anna says, bless the largeness inside me no matter how I fear it. Bless this largeness. To bless means to invoke favor upon, to particularly cherish cherish this worthiness within me, this inherent unearned value that my mere existence merits me. Cherish the space I take up. Cherish these gifts I contain. Cherish the endless well of potential for love and connection that resides inside me, no matter how I fear it. Mm, Because that largeness is also somehow terrifying, isn't it? You know, I think that terror stems from, you know, potentially many things, but I want to focus on one in particular. If that largeness is an endless well of potential for love and connection, it also contains a calling to step into that potential. The terror comes along with a deep knowledge that we also have that within that call lies work and vulnerability, right? Our largeness exists within itself. That worthiness is inherent and true regardless of any external measures. 
but it plays out day in and day out among other humans, humans with their own fears, their own struggles, struggling with their own largeness, who have suffered or been conditioned in ways that we may never know about or understand, which means that as we answer this call, as we do the work to live into that potential for love and connection, we may not always be met with it in return. Not everyone we love will be able to love themselves or us in that moment. Not everyone we meet will value us as worthy of being valued. The truth is, this is ongoing work for many of us, even within ourselves. Accepting our own worthiness, believing in it, not just intellectually, but all the way deep into our bones may require an enormous amount of work of unlearning our conditioning or healing wounds from pain that runs deep. Also, our largeness contains our gifts and embracing our inherent value means also valuing those gifts within us, whether we get any external validation for those gifts or not. It means showing up for them despite the eye rolls of others, despite whether you choose ever to use those gifts to make money or not, which honestly really actually needs its own podcast episode all on its own. Now in this book, Anna is a writer, a storyteller, not by trade or because it's how she pays her bills, but because it's a part of who she is. It is a part of her largeness. Her gift is not only not appreciated in her time or especially for her gender, but it leaves her open to condemnation and actually to be potentially ostracized or even punished. She is afraid of what she wants, of what lives inside her, asking to be brought forth. And yet that is also the prayer of her heart, to have her words and her pens and her inks blessed, cherished by her God. As always in our day-to-day lives, the first step toward all of this work is to, you guessed it, get curious, right? This is how we move past and through our fear. We start with asking questions. Maybe just the question, what might be possible here? What are my gifts? What do I love? Asking ourselves, are we cherishing our own largeness? Are we cherishing the largeness in those we love, in those that we come across in our lives? And how are we doing that cherishing? How are we healing the wounds or doing the work of unlearning the conditioning that asks us to reject our own inherent value? What gifts do we contain? What calls to us? If we peel away all of the external measures of quote-unquote success, what adds joy and richness and fun and meaning to our lives? Where do we connect with others? Now, let me just be clear. This is not any sort of call to, you know, quit your day job and follow your passion. I mean, if that's an option for you and that's the choice that works for your life, then by all means, go for it. But tapping into our gifts is a completely separate conversation from how we make our living, how we pay our bills or meet our responsibilities. Whether or not we choose to intertwine them or even have that as a meaningful choice does not change whether or not those gifts are within us or whether they and we have value and worth. 
Okay, so I have so much more to say about all of that, but I want to move on before we run out of time here. The last line of Anna's prayer, it just wrecks me. I think this is so, so freaking gorgeous and powerful and moving. She says, when I am dust, sing these words over my bones. She was a voice. Ugh, right? She was a voice. You know, this brings me back to our conversation that we began in episode 16 about visibility. To be heard is akin to being seen, right? Just another way to be fully acknowledged and fully understood. And in Anna's case, she sees her voice as an inherent part of her gifts. She says, bless the words that I write. May they be beautiful in your sight. May they be visible to eyes not yet born. When I am dust, sing these words over my bones. She was a voice. She wants to use her voice. She wants to use it and speak not only her own stories, but throughout the book to speak the stories of women who were silenced in some way. There is legacy here, a bringing forward of those rendered invisible, those rendered without voices of their own. Anna's desire is to use her voice, to make use of her gifts, to make sure that all of those silent stories are made, quote, visible to eyes not yet born, to make sure those stories aren't lost, that they can be heard by generations to come. And in order for Anna to be this voice, first she must recognize that she has a voice. She has to grow still and listen for her own internal voice, begin to hear what her intuition and her inner knowing are saying. I mean, this reminds me a lot of our discussion way back in episode three, when we were talking about Mary Oliver and listening for the softer voice of our own lives. The way it takes practice and false starts and then stillness and listening and curiosity to learn to recognize and honor the voice that lives within us. The way we have to grow curious and interested in what that small voice within us is saying to remember that it has value. Here, Anna has to tap into that largeness inside her and recognize that her voice is there and also that it matters and that it is inherently valuable and worthy of being heard. Then she has to find the courage to use that voice, to speak, even if others have disregarded it, even if others have said that she was not worthy of being heard. She must choose to believe in her own largeness and to speak with her own voice. And again, this is where curiosity comes in, right? At the heart of her using her voice is one core question. Why not me? Why not me? Why not my voice? You know, I have long believed that purpose is central to having real fulfillment in our lives. And that when we think that we're searching for happiness, what we're often searching for is actually fulfillment. Tuning into our own largeness and recognizing our gifts and then bringing these gifts forth is often what that purpose looks like. Now, not in a sacrificial way. Can please, can we please, please, please just all agree that we are allowed to use our gifts purely for joy and pleasure as well as for service and contribution? Great, that would be awesome. 
And also, it can be deeply fulfilling to see our gifts touch other lives or contribute in some way to something bigger than ourselves. Now, this can overlap with, but is important to distinguish from, external validation or accolades. Our gifts can touch other lives without being generally accepted or even applauded. Much of our most important work is done within ourselves or within the privacy of our relationships. But using our voices, speaking, believing we have a right to be both seen and heard is part of cherishing our own largeness. Hearing others, allowing them to use their voices, listening when they speak is part of cherishing the largeness in them. Again, like visibility, This is what loving and being loved often looks like. Seeking understanding, being genuinely interested, not asking anyone or ourselves to be smaller or quieter or silent is what love looks like. And we should all ask some very hard questions of any person, system, or institution that restricts the voices it allows to be heard. To be a voice for ourselves, for others whose voices have been silenced, is to be powerful and to trust fully in our own right to speak. Now, the last thing that I want to mention here in this last section, she says, I wished God might notice what I'd done and speak from the whirlwind. I wished him to say, Anna, I see you. How pleasing you are in my sight. There was only silence. So I've said multiple times now that this largeness inside us is inherent and that it's separate from external validation. But here she's looking for just that, right? She wants God to speak to her, to see what she'd done and to validate her. She is literally asking to be seen and to be found pleasing, but it doesn't come. There's only silence. I think it's a rare person who doesn't seek or want that validation, some kind of external validation, right? It's certainly work that's ongoing for me, and it's true as well for probably most of the clients that I work with. We want to hear that we're on the right path. We want to have the work of our hands or the work of our hearts recognized by others. We want to hear that we are valuable, that we are not disposable in the lives of those we love. That's okay. If you want that too, it means only that you are as human as the rest of us. But letting go of relying on it is important and necessary work for each of us. Too often, like Anna here, we might receive only silence or we might even be met with criticism or derision. It only takes, like, seriously, one glance at the comment section of just about anything to see how brutal the opinions of other people can get. The problem with seeking external validation is that we have no idea where the, quote, other might be at the moment we ask for it. Anna doesn't know why her God might be silent in that moment or what that silence might mean. She just knows that there's silence. I mean, maybe like a good mentor, her God recognizes that Anna might need to do this work for herself right now. Maybe it's a little tough love meant to help her find that voice for herself and to trust it, to trust herself and that largeness inside her. But because she wants that affirmation, the silence feels like rejection. When we seek these affirmations from other people, 
it can be hard to know where they might be coming from in their responses. It can be hard for people to be genuinely happy for another person's success or achievement. Maybe they're feeling particularly unsupported themselves in that moment, or maybe they're just particularly competitive generally. Maybe they've just suffered a setback or are feeling frustrated in their own pursuits. Maybe they were conditioned to believe that only harsh criticism is useful feedback. The thing is, more often than not, hurtful silence or criticism has little to do with us or our work. There can be any number of factors at play, and we should consider the source pretty carefully. Is this person qualified to give meaningful feedback? Is this the right person to have asked? And maybe the more important question, the, the thing to really dig into our curiosity with is, what is it that we are really looking for here? Are we really looking for approval for the work we've done? Are we looking for approval on a much deeper level? Are we looking for validation that we are worthy of the work that we want to do or the worthiness to be or exist, worthiness to be seen or heard? And this circles right back to the largeness thing, right? The importance of seeing ourselves as inherently valuable, regardless of what anyone else believes for any reason whatsoever. It's okay that it feels good when our worth is recognized by others. But ultimately, we cannot ask others to sustain that within us. We must do that for ourselves. No external source can keep that largeness filled for us. That's our own work and our own responsibility. And also, when we are the ones asked to validate, it can be worth a momentary pause, a little check-in to make sure that we've been cherishing our own largeness sufficiently to also cherish the largeness in others. Delivery matters. Even if we believe someone needs to hear some kind of hard truth, it matters that we find a way to do it in an encouraging and loving manner. I mean, seriously, I have literally never met another human being who needed to be hurt or made to feel small in order to grow. It doesn't work that way. Be kind, even when, and maybe especially when, there is tough feedback that needs to be given. And the last aspect of this that I want to touch on, and I wanted to keep it very, very quick because I am pretty much out of time here, is that Anna isn't just seeking that external validation from her God generally. She is asking to hear something very specific. The quote is, I wished him to say, Anna, I see you. How pleasing you are in my sight. I mean, she literally quotes the exact words she needs to hear. She wants to be seen, and she wants to be told that she's found pleasing in these exact words. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I have definitely been guilty of this in my own relationships, and it can be troublesome. We do this, right? We want some sort of reassurance of importance or that we were heard from our partners or our family or our friends, and we decide some very specific way that we need to hear it. We can forget that sometimes we actually get what we're asking for, but it shows up in a different format or in different words than what we'd imagined and that we can miss it when that happens. Again, I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, even though it probably is worthy of a a deeper conversation. I'm running a little late here. 
But again, I just want to invite us all to stay curious when we think we've received silence, when we've asked for support or love, and simply ask ourselves if it might have shown up in a way other than the specific format that we've imagined it should look or sound like. I'm reminded of the whole love languages thing, right? If you aren't familiar, just go ahead and give it a little Google um, because I'm not going to get into it here. But suffice it to say, it is just always worth checking in and making sure that we didn't miss, that we got exactly what we were seeking just because it didn't fit the narrow way that we'd become attached to it looking or sounding. Each of us carries a largeness within us, gifts and inherent worthiness and a voice of our own that is ours to speak. When we can stay curious and open to the possibilities that that largeness creates in our lives, we can move through the fear that it can sometimes inspire and allow us to live more richly into its potential, into all of the ways our lives can be filled with connection and beauty and love. We can get curious about that softer voice of our own lives and lean on it and our largeness to find the courage to speak and to be heard, and perhaps even to be a voice for others, for those who have been silenced or whose stories have lost their visibility in some way. Now again, this is from Sumon Kidd's gorgeous and deeply powerful novel, The Book of Longings. I cannot recommend it strongly enough. And as always, you can find the link to the book in the show notes at cindygivanoli.com backslash podcast. And of course, I will also link all the other books mentioned here today. Now, today's listener contribution comes from Jason S. He says, I just finished William Kent Kruger's book, Ordinary Grace, and I loved it. I definitely recommend it to you for your podcast and think there are a few parts that you might be able to pull a good lesson from. This quote in particular really stood out to me, maybe because of the last year or so we've all had with this pandemic, the quote. I've come to understand that there's a good deal of value in the ritual accompanying death. It's hard to say goodbye and almost impossible to accomplish this alone, and ritual is the railing we hold to, all of us together, that keeps us upright and connected until the worst is past. And Jason says, I lost my dad to COVID last fall, and I believe that not being able to say goodbye in person and not being able to hold the normal funeral and wake for my very large Catholic family has made the grieving process harder and more lonely. This quote just really landed for me, as did the book as a whole, and I just wanted to recommend it to you. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. I am so sorry that you and your family are going through this, and I send my love and heartfelt condolences to you and your loved ones. I haven't read Ordinary Grace, but I'm actually in the last few chapters of William Kent Kruger's book, This Tender Land, which I have absolutely loved and definitely plan to include here on the podcast. Thank you again for sharing this, Jason, and for being a part of this community. Alrighty, next week we are talking about a poem from the brilliant former poet laureate of the United States, Joy Harjo, from her collection, An American Sunrise. Until then, be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givanoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word. Say the Word.